This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, original contemporary ballets come alive as the Marini Opera Ballet kicks off a new season of dance. And a program of the American Cancer Society is attracting oysters from around the country as it throws a milestone party to shuck cancer. Details coming up, but first... Byram, Mississippi, wants independence. It won that about a decade ago by successfully breaking off from Jackson. But the two cities are still tied together in one crucial way. Byram still relies on Jackson's notoriously troubled water system. The Gulf State's newsroom's Danny McArthur reports. The street outside Mildred Cochran's home in Byram is being eroded by a water leak. It's a problem that Jackson City water crews should be fixing, but she says they've been failing at it for months. It's so bad. It's leaking in a lot of places. You you can hear it gurgling sometimes. (laughs) She's right. Get close to the puddling road, and you can hear air bubbles snap, crackle, and pop. The leak is just one example of why Cochran doesn't like being associated with Jackson. Byron broke off from Jackson and became its own city 13 years ago, and she thinks they're doing just fine on their own. They've got a Walmart now, a small town sign of success. I just emphasize it like my sister. I said, don't tell people I live in Jackson. Tell them I live in Byram. We're a city now. To be clear, city is a bit of a stretch. Byram's population is just about 12,000 people. But it has grown nearly 70% in two decades. Most of that growth is driven by its black residents, who make up the majority of the population. That includes Juanita Shepard. She is a Jackson native who came to Byram to retire. She's concerned that her children will have to deal with the same water issues she grew up with. Uh, The infrastructure with the water has been bad since I was a little girl. So it was bad then, but I don't remember as much maintenance and issues with it as, as now. In Byram, she doesn't experience those problems as much. Like most of the town, Shepard uses well water. Jackson owns and maintains the water infrastructure, but it's not water from the city's aging treatment plant. Because of this, she does not experience the frequent boil water notices, but the problems still reach Byram. Eventually, it kind of trickles down here, but it's not as great of a need as it is in Jackson. Some places in Byram do get their water from Jackson plants, so they dealt with the recent boil water notice that lasted almost seven weeks. Places like Monty's Steak and Seafood. My name is actually Monday, like the day of the week. Mondayago owns the restaurant, named Monty's because a coworker kept calling him by the wrong name. Ago moved his restaurant to Byram to escape another water-related problem, frequent flooding at his old Jackson location. He loves the new spot. He's got great landlords, and he says some of Jackson's problems, like the rising crime rates, haven't followed him to Byram. Most of the time when Jackson is having a problem, it doesn't come to this area. But now it comes here. During the most recent water crisis, he was able to keep the restaurant running with bottled water. But the restaurant's reputation took a hit. He says customers still do not trust the water. Algo estimates he lost a quarter of his usual business. That's hard to swallow after spending decades growing a loyal following. I'm not being able to realize, you know, the, the benefit what you're working hard for 
due to circumstances like the water and stuff like that, it make it, it make it, it, it really hot. As long as Byram shares the city's water system, its fate is tied to Jackson and the state, but both continue to be at odds. That tension was on display last week when Governor Tate Reeves and Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba traded dueling press releases over the management of the water crisis. Algo feels there is not enough cooperation between government officials to actually give Jackson what it needs. They supposed to concentrate their money on the capital city, but in this situation, the infrastructure is run down, everything is run down. Byron wants to bypass the conflict by severing ties with the Jackson water system and creating their own. But that's a whole other set of problems. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Danny McArthur. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Original works and live music kick off the Marini Opera Ballet's ninth season of contemporary dance in the historic Marini Opera House. Ballet founder and artistic director Dave Herbert joins us now with a sneak peek of what's ahead this season. Dave, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thank you for having me, Diane. This is shaping up to be a busy season for you. Tell us a little about the ballet company and what goes into producing a season of contemporary ballet. We have, at this point, 10 professional dancers, ballet master, company manager, tech director, staff to support it. And we've been doing ballets for the past nine years, mostly sellout successes. We always commission new works. We don't do classical ballets, but we do contemporary ballets, all from local choreographers, almost always. And we always commission music. We always perform to either a live jazz ensemble or a live orchestra. And I think that makes a big difference in the quality of our productions. So it's a bit of a complicated thing, getting a whole season off the ground with so many moving parts and so many new productions, so many musicians and dancers and costume designers involved. But it's a wonderful thing to do for me. And I'm glad we're kicking off finally in December. Now for your ninth season, you have two premieres and the return of a holiday classic that's both a nod to Tchaikovsky and loaded with local flavor. Let's begin there as the season is fast approaching. What can we look forward to? We're going to open the season in December, December 9th, for two weekends of our New Orleans Jazz Nutcracker. And that premiered last year to sold-out audiences for two weekends. And I think why audiences like this ballet so much is it's set in New Orleans. It's set on Jackson Square Christmas Eve, and it follows the basic plot of the classic Tchaikovsky Nutcracker, but it's adapted to New Orleans. I mean, 
Clara, the star of the show, is a young woman, and she's been lost or abandoned, and she spends the night on a park bench. Then she's surrounded by all sorts of local types you'd see there, like fortune tellers, tourists, families, even a drag queen. And Clara and her Nutcracker Prince end up fighting rats instead of mice. <laughs> and they dance through the kingdom of the rain rather than the snow and end up back on Jackson Square on Christmas morning for grand finale. And I think the music also makes the ballet very New Orleans, too. Local pianist composer Larry Sieber composed an original jazz score based on Tchaikovsky's original music, and it's delightful. The ballet even ends with a second line. <laughs> and like all of our productions, the music will be live, and uh, Larry's Jazz Ensemble will perform. That's followed by another classic work with New Orleans Roots. Yes, indeed. We have a new premiere, A Streetcar Named Desire, and that opens February 24th, the weekend after Mardi Gras. We hope enough people might be sober enough to come to the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm very excited about that. It's being choreographed by Diogo de Lima, who's created a number of ballets for us. The new work is based on Tennessee Williams' play tragedy set in an apartment on Elysian Fields. And I think most people are familiar with Streetcar, at least maybe with the famous movie with Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando. Our ballet follows this story pretty closely. We have a new orchestral score. It's a 14-piece orchestra that's being written by local composer Tucker Fuller. Tucker's composed several ballet scores for us in the past, most of them winning awards. There was Ofeo in 2014, Giselle Deland, Book of Saints, A Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> and now he's finishing up Streetcar. The composition is almost done, but we've already started rehearsals for us. I need to say, though, that Streetcar is mature content, and it's not for kids. And how do you close the season? We're closing our season in April with Panorama, a production of new short works. We have two being presented that night, each about 20 to 30 minutes in length. One of them is being choreographed by our ballet master, Jarina Carvalho, who also has choreographed our jazz nutcracker. And that will be based on the music of Kurt Weil, who was active in Germany and America in the 1920s and 30s. Very exciting music. And another exciting thing is it'll be performed by jazz greats, Mechia Lake and Oscar Rossignoli who are two of my favorite jazz artists in New Orleans. The second one will be choreographed by Lauren Gwines, who is a dancer with our company and our company manager. And as you continue to move forward, what are your future goals for the ballet company? We're hoping to start touring around the region, engaging new and exciting choreographers and composers, and expanding our audience. Right now, we only do Nutcracker for two weekends, but all the other productions are one weekend only. So I'm hoping that for our next season, we might do two weekends for every single production. Are you also growing new talent? This season, we brought in a number of new dancers from Mississippi, from North Carolina, mostly young dancers who've graduated from their dance conservatories or universities. We have a dancer from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. 
moving here from North Carolina. So I think we're expanding the number of professional quality dancers here in New Orleans. And I think that's a very good thing. I think New Orleans could be more of a dance town than it is now. We've got so much talent here. And a lot of the talent upon graduation leaves for New York or California or other places. And my goal is to try to keep some of them here and to attract more talent so that we have a, a larger and larger pool of professional quality dancers. And they dance all over the place. Some of our dancers also dance with other companies. And I think that's only a good thing to increase the quality and the number of performances of dance here in New Orleans. Marini Opera Ballet founder and artistic director, Dave Herbert. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And you too. Thanks, Diane. More information about the Marini Opera Ballet's ninth season of contemporary ballet can be found online at marineoperaballet.org. In the interest of full disclosure, I am a member of the Marini Opera House Foundation Board. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. relatively new local event of the American Cancer Society is making big strides in the fight to equalize cancer outcomes for patients with a focus on access to care in the New Orleans area. The event is called Shuck Cancer, a party with a purpose, showcasing oysters from across the country in an effort to provide cancer patients with transportation to health care facilities. The party is hosted by the American Cancer Society's Junior Executive Board and Shuck Cancer co-founder Henry Heaton joins us now with details. Henry, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Hi, thank you for having me. And congratulations on Shuck Cancer's fifth anniversary. What are your thoughts on the event's milestone? It's really been great to watch these young professionals thrive 
in their philanthropic endeavors with the American Cancer Society. We started this with, you know, about 50 young professionals wanting to make a difference in the lives of cancer patients in New Orleans. And we, you know, started an event with 600 people that has grown to 1,500 people just last year. So it's been inspirational watching these young professionals really give back to the New Orleans community. Since 2018, we've raised a little over $1.2 million for the American Cancer Society. But out of that, about $580,000 go directly back into the state towards our Louisiana Patient Transportation Grant so people can get to and from treatment because we realize that transportation is listed as one of the greatest barriers to treatment completion. And you could be receiving the best health system in the state, but if you can't get there, it means nothing. Everyone knows New Orleanians love to party. What inspired this unique way to literally shuck cancer by showcasing and shucking oysters? Actually, a event in Washington, D.C. called Oyster Riot that has oysters from across that kind of East Coast region. So John Michael Rowland, who's a managing partner at Superior Seafood, went to that event in 2018 and came to us in March of 2018. I was 28. I just started to work with American Cancer Society. And my boss was like, y'all two work together. This is a great concept and an amazing volunteer who wants to team up. And, you know, you're from here and you can rally up some young professionals to plan and execute this event, you know. And that's where it all started in front of the neutral ground on uh, Napoleon Avenue in front of St. Charles Avenue. Five years later, we're now in five markets across the United States with a concept that all started here in New Orleans. Wow. Now, tell me more about the patient transportation. That's a big focus of the event. Tell us about your efforts and why it's so important. Well, the Louisiana Patient Transportation Grant Program has been around for a while, but back in 2019, our second year, you know, we really wanted to give back locally to the community. And so we were able to um, restrict our sponsorship dollars to this fund. And we know that transportation is listed as one of the greatest barriers to treatment completion. So what this grant really does is equalize outcomes for all patients. Um, So anyone, no matter where they are, where they come from, that they can get to and from treatment. And we've partnered with some great health systems in the state who educate their patients on these grants. And I've heard from like patient benefactors who just say it is a complete blessing. Most people, when they find out they have a diagnosis, they are on a fixed income. They realize that gas or even an Uber credit or a taxi is, you know, on top of their medical bills. It becomes a lot and it becomes very stressful. So we take out the stress for a lot of patients. You know, another example is there's someone coming in from, uh, taking you in Mississippi to come to a health system here to receive treatment. Well, you know, they can maybe get someone to drive them here, but that's still a cost. So what our health systems do, whether through Medicab or, or Uber credits or even gas cards, they gave someone a gas card from Picayune to get here. So it really helps the financial burden, you know, because we all know that those medical bills definitely add up. So any way that we can take that stress out or get them to treatment, um, we know that we can lower that mortality rate, and we love that. So while you're based here in New Orleans, you're helping people in New Orleans and beyond. Correct. 
we are giving these health systems across the state funds so we can get rural patients to their treatment. It really is a statewide effort for really impacting the lives in the state of Louisiana. Since 2018, we have granted 37 health systems across the state funds that have served over 6,000 patients with 71,000 one-way rides. Just seeing those numbers have been really inspirational to our entire junior board, as well as different benefactors, patients themselves, who I've been lucky enough to talk to about their experience with it. Now, Henry, what drew you to the American Cancer Society and the Junior Executive Board? Two things. I actually interned for the American Cancer Society when I was in college in Birmingham, Alabama. So I already loved the organization and had an affinity for them. And then secondly, because of that, I was a childhood cancer survivor. So I had a cordial melanoma, which is a cancerous tumor right near my optic nerve when I was 16. So it's all come really full circle. And when I started, you know, all my friends knew about my history. So, you know, I was able to really rally a bunch of troops who were very supportive and also all had their cancer connection. So creating the junior executive board here in New Orleans was very easy. And um, we have been able to grow it since then. So tell us about this party with a unique mission and quite a view of the city's skyline. What will be the experience at Shuck Cancer? We have 20 different oysters from across the country in Canada. We have 20 vineyards literally coming out to pour over 40 types of wine. We have 25 restaurant partners across New Orleans great names that are coming to serve non-oyster cuisine for those that you know may be allergic to selfish or just not their thing. Um, we have a wonderful beer garden with some local breweries. We have about 11 batch cocktails, virgin and not. And then we have um, three live musical acts this year. We have Chris and Diable. We have uh, Where Yacht. And then um, Blue Rhythm coming all the way from New York. So um, it really is a Fun, fun night. Shuck Cancer co-founder, Henry Heaton, it's been a pleasure talking with you. You as well. Thank you so much for the opportunity. The American Cancer Society's Shuck Cancer Party takes place on November 17th, 7 p.m. at the Mandeville Wharf Crossing at Crescent Park, 2300 North Peter Street in New Orleans. More info is online at shuckcancer.org. WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. You've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest, founder and artistic director at the Marini Opera House, Dave Herbert, and Chuck Cancer co-founder, Henry Heaton. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman, Aubrey Procell, and Thomas Walsh. 
Tune in to Louisiana Considered tomorrow to learn why 100 scientists are sounding the alarm about the fate of the Gulf of Mexico whale. We learn what makes this creature unique and how we can stop it from going extinct. Plus, we learn about the new junior NBA league taking shape across the nation and learn how kids can get involved here in Louisiana. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.